Three Lakes. A little bit louder. Good morning. Are you ready to open up and worship this morning? <laughs> Let's stand and we're going to open up this morning.
may be seated. Well, good morning. The joy to gather with you this morning as we rejoice in and celebrate that fact that we are who God says we are, not who anyone else tries to label us as, but who God says we are, and that God says we are His child. As we to join together, we to celebrate that as His people in this place this morning. If you are visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you are here with us this morning. We're delighted to worship with you. If you are new or visiting, just a couple of things to bring to your attention. First, there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. We'd invite you to fill that out. You can drop it in the boxes on the back wall on your way out. It's just a way for us to get to know you a little bit if there's anything you'd like to communicate with us. The second, on your way out, there's also a table in the back that has coffee and we have a gift for you. We'd love to have you stop by there and we can answer any questions you may have back there as well. A couple of announcements this morning. Uh, one coming up August 7th, the following the service on August 7th. We're going to have a meeting here following the service to, to talk about small groups and what your desire is for those to look like and what um, those will look like going forward as we head into the fall and um, we're going to try to get small groups going again. And so if you are interested in being in a small group, if you're interested in leading a small group, if you're interested in hosting a small group, we'd invite you to uh, attend that discussion as we, as we um, yeah, just kind of talk about what small groups look like going forward. Also, if you are interested in being baptized this summer, we will have a baptism um, at, the, at the end of August, if there's anyone who is interested in being baptized. And so if you are interested, you can either fill out your Connect card or um, and drop it in the box, or you can let me know, and we will be in touch about what that can look like. Right. We're going to transition to a time of prayer now. Um, and as we pray, we kind of one special prayer folks we want to mention. It is... Uh, Elaine Altman's final Sunday with us before she moves um, to be with family. And so she's been a faithful servant and stalwart member here at the church for a long time. And so we want to send her off with a special focus on prayer. Um, and so we're going to pray for her. If there's anyone here, who maybe a few of you who have been especially closer over the year, do you want to kind of gather around her? I'd invite you to do that now. Um, a few of you want to go kind of stand Stand by Elaine or put your arm on her. Um, I want you to do that and then we will pray for her in just a minute. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for this time to gather as your people in this place. We thank you for the way you've built together a, a body with various gifts, the way you've drawn each of us to this place to serve your purposes. In particular this morning, we're thankful for the way you've worked in and through Elaine in her many years serving and loving the church so well. 
We pray that you would be with her as she goes and she lives with family. Pray you continue to be with her. Bless others through her. Bless her through the people around her. Yeah, Father, we, we are so thankful for faithful, sacrificial servants like Elaine. The way you work through people to achieve your purposes. We are thankful for Elaine. We pray that you'd be with Elaine as she goes on this next step. We pray just be with all the details of that transition. That that would go well. That you would be glorified in and through her transition. We pray for the rest of our church family. You be with each of us as we seek to bring you glory as we go about our day-to-day lives. We pray for those who are in need of physical or emotional or spiritual help and healing, that you'd be with them, bring comfort where it's needed, bring healing where it's needed. And Father, if we continue this time of worship, pray that you'd be glorified with all that takes place here. Again, we are thankful for all you do for us. We're thankful for Elaine and all you've done through her. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. ago I heard an example about what um, worship is about and it's always stuck with me that as you're progressing through a service it's like going into the holy of holies and we kind of start out celebrating we come in and we're celebratory and then we're working our way into that that sweet spot that place where we're closest to God where we're we're communing with him and um, as we sing this next set of songs I just kind of want you to focus in on that and Let it be worshipful and let it be a prayer and let it be bringing you into the Holy of Holies this morning.
Father, we praise you that you are great and that you give us the breath to pour out our praise to you in the midst of all circumstances, all trials. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Children age of four to seven, you are dismissed to go downstairs for children's church. And we just sang how we can praise God, that God gives us a breath to praise Him. And because of God's greatness and His glory, we can praise Him in the midst of various circumstances. And so this morning we have Dr. Pat here with us. And she can come share a little bit about how even in the midst of hard and trying circumstances, there are people who still are, are praising God. So I'd invite Dr. Pat to come and share with us this morning. Good morning. What happened to the air conditioning? <laughs> well, I'm not going to complain after the long winter we had, huh? <laughs> it's nice to see summer. Well, thank you for having me back again. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, for those of you that may not know who I am, uh, the doctor in front of my name is because I'm a veterinarian. And I had a practice over in Tomahawk for about 10 years. And then the Lord called me to full-time work. So my full-time work involves traveling into countries where Christians do not have religious freedom. And I meet with them, uh, learn what is happening in their lives, and then uh, our whole focus is prayer for the persecuted. And I want to see a show of hands this morning. Who out here is incapable of praying? Okay, great. Sometimes people are sleeping. Yeah. Um, well, that is great. So you said you can pray. Hebrews 13.3 says, Pray for those, or should say, Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. And those who are suffering, for we are all part of the body of Christ. And when they suffer, we suffer. But we suffer because when they suffer, Jesus suffers. And Jesus is our Lord and Savior also. And when Jesus suffers, then we suffer. So uh, the one thing we can do is pray. And I've been traveling now for 40 years. And during that time, I meet with these brothers and sisters. The first thing they always ask for is prayer. Not for money, not for ways to come to America, but for prayer. And in 40 years, I, again, I still keep waiting. In 40 years, no one has ever said to me, please pray for us that the persecution ends. Think about that. We're talking about people who lose their family members, who are imprisoned, who are tortured. And yet they don't ask that the persecution ends because they understand, I think more than we do, that persecution is the norm. As Jesus suffered, as our Savior suffered, we also will suffer. I think we're blessed here that we don't have quite that type of suffering, but then on a spiritual level, I wonder if we really are blessed because those who are persecuted are very strong in their faith to the point of being willing to die. Now, it's estimated that 74% of the world does not have religious freedom which is amazing. When I first started this 40 years ago, it was maybe 60%. It's going up instead of down. A lot of radicalism out there in all sorts of different religions. And uh, Christians are today a minority in most of these countries. 
I'm trying to remember uh, a Jewish man once said that the Christians are the Jews of the 21st century. As the Jews during the Holocaust were slaughtered today, it's the Christians. So we sit here, we're comfortable, even with the heat. <laughs> we're comfortable. But we can pray. How much time does it take? How much time does it take to pray? You can talk. It just Yeah, virtually nothing. What does it cost us to pray? Virtually nothing, just some time. So uh, I'm going to tell you about some brothers and sisters that need your prayer right now. And I don't want to take away from Pastor's spot here. He's laughing at me now. But I noticed that there's a blank here. You know, that's for Pastor. But uh, surely someplace else, on, or maybe on the front or something, if you take out a pencil or pen and you could write down some names, then you can be praying for these brothers and sisters. And when I see them again, which will probably be this fall, I'll uh, let them know that there are a lot of people that are praying for them. The first one I want to tell you about is Wanda. Now, these are not their real names, and that's only because security issues. But uh, Wanda was working, she's Christian, she was working for a Muslim lawyer. And um, the Muslim, uh, her daughter, Wanda's daughter, wanted to get married. And marriages there are very expensive. So Wanda couldn't afford the marriage. Therefore, her daughter couldn't get married. So her Muslim lawyer lent her the money so that they could have the wedding. And as soon as he lent her the money, he fired her. He did this so that he could then accuse her, since she couldn't pay back the loan, of theft. And now he says, I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to sue you, or I'm going to have you imprisoned because you stole this money from me. You're not paying it back. And as a Christian, she doesn't have the rights in a court that the Muslim has anyway. And so he was, I don't know if you call it blackmailing, extortion, but he said, but I would um, get rid of your debt if you would agree to basically have sexual relations, relations with me a couple times a month. Well, of course, she didn't want to do that. So we heard about her situation from a coworker, and we were able to uh, hire a lawyer for her and also to give her the money so she could pay the debt back. So right now... She's debt-free and uh, away from uh, the lawyer. But this is not an uncommon tactic, especially with Christian women who are uh, very vulnerable in these countries. So be praying for Wanda and for uh, uh, her safety and also for another job because right now she has no income. Well, now I want to tell you about Omina. Let's see if it doesn't say. Okay, I'm going to spell her name for you. O-M-M-I-N-A. Omina and her husband were former Muslims. And for those of you that know who Pastor Jack is, there he is. <laughs> but Omina, she's pregnant in this picture. She and her husband are former Muslims, and her husband was going on the Internet and talking about what it's like to be a Christian. You know, and, and, and other Muslims found out that he was doing this, and they objected. And so they turned him into the police. And he was imprisoned for insulting Islam for insulting the Muslim religion. And here she was like eight months pregnant, and he's in prison, so there's no income. She had no money to go to the hospital and have a birth at the hospital. So again, we, we got money to her through our friend Pastor Jack, and she uh, was able to have her child. Do we have a picture of the baby? There we go. 
<laughs> Just about a month ago, baby was born. I think it's a little girl, but I can't remember for sure. It looks like a girl. And uh, so she is alone with her baby. But, of course, we've got Pastor Jack that's watching over her and the baby. But, uh, uh, and we're also helping her financially because her husband is still in prison. And keep in mind that as a former Muslim in prison with other Muslims around, he is being beaten, he's being tortured, um, I'm sure he's not getting good food. Many times, former Muslims who become Christian, that if they end up in prison, they end up dying. So be praying for Omina and that little baby, and also please pray for her husband. We are hoping for a quick release. And again, we'll see if we can get a... In fact, I think we already started with the lawyer thing. Uh, all right, now I want to tell you about Sophia. Um... There she is. I know it's hard to see in this picture, but uh, she is. She has been attacked, and she has stitches. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But Sophia and her husband, um, they had, I'm trying to remember at that time, they had a little girl. And then her husband, who was very non-committed to Christianity, a Muslim gang gave him money to sign papers to become a Muslim. And he did. We call him Ebel, by the way. I-B-I-L. If you change the B to a V, you get the idea. Evil. And he, uh, uh, so he com- converted and became a Muslim. He didn't care. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But she did, of course. And so then the Muslim gang said, if you will give us your two-year-old daughter... Or if you will raise your two-year-old daughter as a Muslim, we'll give you more money. So he went to Sophia, and he, because they were estranged at the time, and he said he wanted the daughter. Her name is Serena. And, of course, she refused, and she and Serena went into hiding. I met with them when they were in hiding. And so uh, uh, Ebel then went after Sophia's whole family. Uh, the extended family, and he accused them of trying to kill him, and he accused them of theft and all of this. The entire family was picked up by the police and put in prison, including a 12-year-old girl. And so uh, while they were in the prison, it wasn't too long, maybe two weeks, while they were there, they were again tortured. I remember the men were told that they had to stand, couldn't sit down, couldn't lie down. The other prisoners uh, did bad things. And so after about two weeks, they were able to uh, pay it like, I don't know, a bribe or something, and we're able to get out, only to be arrested two weeks later again. So now the whole family's in hiding. Well, Ebel still wants his little girl. He still wants Serena. And one day as he was uh, uh, walking through the neighborhood, and this is a very crowded neighborhood, he happened to see Sophia, and he went after her. So that, you know, where are you living? Where's my daughter? He used a knife. He, he cut her face. He cut her hands. I don't know what else. It's he, he just terrible. 150 stick stitches to repair the damage. And uh, she was in the hospital, so then we brought her to another place, another safe house. And that's where she is now. But uh, he is not done. And I'll put this in the prayer letter when I, when I, in fact, we just finished writing about it. But her sister, Rebecca, was also just this last month also attacked by, by evil. And was uh, he, she, he got he got her face he got he cut tendons he cut arteries it was really really bad so be praying for this family um, they they're not going to give up their Christianity and they're all protecting little Serena and so they're all paying a price uh, they need a lot of prayer prayer for protection and prayer for faith because 
it's hard to stand strong for Jesus Christ when your child is, is threatened. Well, uh, let me tell you about Rose. Uh, Rose is standing there in the middle with her daughter. The little boy is not part of her family. But that's Rose and her daughter, and again, Pastor Jack. Rose, uh, former Muslims, Rose, her husband, and a son and daughter, but again, not that boy. A son and daughter were living in Syria. They're Syrians. And because of the civil war, and even though they're Muslim, ISIS threatens them too, they fled to Europe. And when they were in Europe, which is obviously more open for religion, um, Rose started having dreams. You've heard of people that get visions and dreams. Well, she started having dreams, and, she, uh, uh, and they were about Christ, about Jesus. Being in a more free country, she felt it was okay, so she went to some churches and checked us out, you know, checked out the Christians. And eventually, she committed her life to Jesus Christ. However, her husband felt that she had shamed the family by leaving Islam. And so he divorced her, and he took the son. You know, he had the rights to take his son, so he took, he took the son. So she lost her son. Uh, and now it was just her and her daughter. They were divorced. They're living in Europe. Too expensive. So some friends suggested that they move to Egypt, where it's a lot cheaper to live. And that's what they did. But they came with no skills. She's a refugee. She can't, she can't work. You know, around here you get a green card. But not right now she can't get an official job. And so, again, we're supporting her and her daughter so that, uh, so that they can survive. But, you know... If she had, if she denied Jesus Christ, she'd still have her son. So you see the price they pay by just standing firm for Jesus Christ. Now, I think, didn't you get one of these in your, in your thing? Okay. Who's got those clipboards? Who's got the clipboards? There's one there. There was one up here in the front. You got one. All right. These are simply sign-up sheets for my prayer letter. And I realize many of you are already getting the prayer letter, but... Uh, I really do believe this is a really good way to pray effectively for your brothers and sisters because these are chock full of pictures and stories of people that need prayer. Uh, if you have the clipboards, what you're going to do is you're going to just pass them across your row, not across the aisle, just across the row and then back and across the row because we've got clipboards in every section. So they don't have to go across the aisle. But if you'd start passing those, that would be great. I do want to explain one thing, which I have before. And this is important. I need your regular, uh, I don't know what you call it, snail mail. Because we can't send these via the Internet. Or they could get all over the place and people could be in trouble. Because these stories, sometimes we even have to blur the, the um, faces. But, so, we do have... a. Uh, space there for email. That's for prayer alerts. If we find out, for instance, that uh, Rose uh, is in trouble, we can send a prayer alert right away to you so you can be praying. But we probably wouldn't send pictures, just the information. So you have to sign up for the snail mail for this. But then if you want to put your email down, we don't abuse it. But there's something coming up uh, pretty soon we have opportunities to meet with people from overseas, and there are times when we do Zoom with them. And if we can get you, if you're invited, then we'll send you an email and let you know that you can come into that Zoom meeting. Um, tomorrow, uh, Monday, yeah, tomorrow, 
were having a Zoom meeting with Miriam Abraham. Miriam was a lady, some of you know, she was an um, um, Ethiopian. She and her family moved to Sudan when she was just really tiny, and she was raised in Sudan. Her father was an alcoholic. They're a Muslim family. He's Muslim. He died. Her mother, though, was Christian, raised her and her brother as Christians. So Miriam grew up. She got married to a Christian man, and then she found out she had two brothers from another mother, you know, same father but different mother. And those two brothers ended up getting her arrested and accusing her of adultery because technically they say she is still a Muslim because her father was Muslim. And so um, she just wrote a book. I know Miriam personally, but she just wrote a book called Shackled because when she was in prison, she was pregnant, and she gave birth to a little girl while her legs were shackled. I mean, it was really, really bad. So, uh, but the story has powerful, uh, it's just powerful about how God protected her and how she felt never afraid, but knew that her God was with her. They sentenced her to death, by the way, for a thousand, or a hundred lashes and then death by hanging. And the only reason they didn't do it right away is because they found out she was pregnant. And you know, they're merciful. So they said that, uh, we'll wait till you give birth, we'll wait till you wean the baby, then we'll take the baby away from you, and then we'll hang you. So uh, the book is Shackled. It just came out. You can get it on Amazon. And she is going to be with us tomorrow on Zoom. So if you have any, if you'd like to be involved in that, let me know, and then we'll, give you an, we'll send you an invitation. All right. Um, I think if anybody has a question or two, or pastor has a question or two, he's getting anxious. He's coming. He's coming. Okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> well, let me pray for you and for your ministry and all that's going on here. Okay. Father, we, we thank you for Dr. Pat and all that she does in connecting with these people who live in hard circumstances, who are living in dangerous and trying situations. That you'd be with her, be with um, yeah, the people she shared with this morning and others like them who are living in hard situation, that you would be at work for your glory, even in the midst of those incredibly challenging situations. We pray to in Jesus' name. Amen. And on the table in the back, I've got books that you can read, keep up with things. Has anybody read God's Mother, my brother Andrew? A few of you. And uh, also, they told me I could there's also a, a basket in the back if you want to get involved. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. So just uh, those stories are a reminder of the cost that maybe if we can sometimes be blind to or unaware of of following after God and. and that raises the question then, like why, like why do people endure all that for the sake of following Jesus? Right? I think we see a part of that answer in today's passage, which is Psalm, Psalm 96. So earlier this week, NASA released the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope. And the, the release of those images was the culmination of a pretty prolonged and trying process. Right? So starting in the late 90s, NASA started planning 
this new telescope that would supplant the Hubble Space Telescope as kind of the, the premier space telescope. And so in 1998, they officially released their plan for this James Webb Space Telescope. And when they released that plan in 1998, the plan was for the project to be launched in 2007 and cost $1 billion. That was the plan. 2007, $1 billion. But obviously, since we're talking about it now, things didn't go quite according to plan. In fact, this telescope didn't launch until Christmas Day of 2021, about 15 years late. And the final cost of the project was nearly $10 billion, nearly 10 times the original projected cost. But finally, after six months of flying and of instrument calibration, the James Webb Space Telescope reached its destination and was all set to go when we finally got it, the first images this week. And these images are, are pretty astounding. Whether they're $10 billion astounding is another question, but they're pretty incredible pictures. They've been all over the news, so maybe you've seen them, but if not, here, here's a couple of them. So the first picture, this is the very first picture that NASA released. And according to NASA, this is all that you would see in the sky, and just a speck of the sky that the size of like, a grain of sand held at arm's length. Right? So a grain of sand held at arm's length, you, like, all that is contained in that little speck of sky. And a few more pictures they released, I'll just let them scroll through here. So these are all pictures taken from the James Webb Space Telescope. I think there's one more. There. Right. And so if you, if you watch the news, if you watch the people talk about these images, there's all different kinds of conclusions drawn, of interpretations drawn about how or why these pictures are significant, why they're important. But I would argue that the most significant thing about these pictures, that they give us a renewed and a deepened ability to appreciate verses like Psalm 96, 4 through 5. And in Psalm 96, 4 and 5, we read this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In this first image, the first one we saw, we have it up in here, right? So in this image, right, the thing you see with like six points, the kind of that little flare going on, those are stars. Everything else up there that looks like a star is not a star, it's a galaxy. Right? And like each of those galaxies contains on average an estimated 100 billion stars in and of themselves. Right? And that's just one speck of sky the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. Right? Like it's unfathomable how many or how many stars there are in the sky. In fact, the astronomer Carl Sagan once said this. He said, there are more stars in the universe than all the grains of sand on all the beaches on earth. And of course, each one of those stars is not just like the tiny pinprick of light that we see with our eye. Like our sun is an average-sized star and you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside our Star. 
It's mind-boggling how big and how vast the universe is. How many stars there are and how big they are. And according to Psalm 96, God created all of it. The psalmist tells us, right? God created the heavens. But he doesn't just tell us that just to astound us. He doesn't just tell us that just to blow our minds, even though it is mind-blowing. The psalm tells us that God created the heavens to spur us into action. The psalmist tells us, if we go back one more verse in Psalm 96, in verse 3, he says this. He says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Then he goes on to say, For, why declare His glory? Because the Lord is great. Because He created the heavens. God's greatness, as seen in the fact that He created the heavens, His greatness should be a motivation and a fuel for us. A fuel to cause us to declare His glory and to declare His marvelous deeds among all peoples. If you're a regular attender here, you know we've been working our way through the book of Luke primarily over the last several years, but we're going to take a short break for a couple weeks here to think about what it means to do what this psalm says, to declare His glory and to declare God's marvelous deeds among the people. So this week, I want to just kind of declare, lay the groundwork for why. Why do we declare God's glory? Like we just heard from Dr. Pat about these people who endure such great trials and difficulties. Like why are they willing to endure all that? Why do people in those countries where it's illegal to be a Christian risk much to tell other people about Jesus? We just want to think about that question this morning. It's all rooted in God's greatness. A lot of times when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing good news with others, we think about missions, right? It's oftentimes our brains go first and foremost to the New Testament, which, which kind of makes sense, right? Jesus concludes his time on earth by giving the Great Commission, right? Tell people to go and make disciples. The book of Acts is all about the apostles going out and telling people about Jesus. Many of Paul's letters are written to people who he had converted to Christianity as he went and told people about Jesus. So the New Testament is very missions and evangelism focused. And in contrast, a lot of times when we think about the Old Testament, we can think that it's not so missions focused. And in fact, oftentimes God's people, Israel, can often be seen as kind of insulated and inward focused and not worried about telling other people about God. But what we see in in Psalm 96 is that any failure for Israel to tell people about God is because of their sin, not because God wasn't concerned with His name being proclaimed. In fact, He tells them very clearly in this psalm and other places in in the Old Testament, like, go and declare My name to the nations. We've already read a few verses of Psalm 96, but let's read it in its entirety together. Psalm 96 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. 
Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. And so this passage tells us two things, ultimately. It tells us, first, what God is like, and second, it tells us how we ought to respond to what God is like. And so if we were to kind of boil this message down into one sentence, we could say this, that the greatness of God compels us to declare His glory. So I want to look at kind of each of those things this morning, starting with God's greatness. The psalm tells us that God is great. A.W. Tozer once famously wrote that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whatever you think of when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. And he goes on to argue that many of us have a conception of God that is, is too small. Therefore, he says, the heaviest obligation lying upon the church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God. The thing we need more than anything else, Tozer says, is to, to have a pure and elevated concept of, of who God is. So first, we need to, we need to purify, purify our view of God. We need to see God as He truly is, have a right, proper, purified view. Right? Not as we wish Him to be, but as He reveals Himself to be in His Word. Right? Like praising someone for, for qualities that are not true of them like, is not praise at all. Right? Like If I started to, to praise my wife's beauty, and I started to tell her how much I loved how beautiful her like flowing blonde hair and her, her, her shining blue eyes are, like, that would not be well received. Right? My wife has brown hair and brown eyes. Right? So praising someone for attributes that are not true of them is not in any way praise. Right? And a lot of times we can do that with God. Right? We can have a picture of God in our mind that is not true, that the picture that God has revealed that in the Bible, and so we reveal, we praise God for things that are not actually true of Him. We need a, we need a purified view of God. Like we often need to 
an elevated concept of who God is. J.B. Phillips once wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. Basically, he's arguing, whatever you think about God, like it, it's not big enough. Right? Your God is greater than anything you can conceive of. And that's true of each and every one of us. Right? No matter what you may think of, when you think of God, God is greater still. Right? So we, can, we can all stand to elevate our view of God. To think of God as greater and mightier than, he, than we think of Him currently. And that's, that's certainly true of me. I know like oftentimes my picture of God, what I think God is capable of, what I think God is like, is too small, is too much in my own image rather than in the image of the Bible. If you find yourself in a similar place this morning, my, my hope, my prayer is that as we walk through this passage, as you hear these words, like, you'll just be reminded in a helpful way of how great God is. So from the path, I just want to highlight a couple aspects of God's greatness. I've, I've watched a fair number of videos this week of people like, responding to the images of the James Webb Space Telescope. Right? And one of the things that like, this verse tells us about God is that, that makes him great is that He is Creator. Right? That it's God who created that. And God who created all the images that are coming out. And yet so many of the videos I watched this week are from people who think that that's an accident. Right? And like, who are, they find awe in images like this, and yet they, they think it's a result of some cosmic coincidence. Right? Like, if, that, you, if you're here this morning and you like, don't believe in God, like, I'm not saying that to mock you, like I, but I would love to have an honest conversation. Like, I don't know how you see that and contemplate the vastness of the universe and not see a creator behind it. And like, I'd just love to have that conversation if you're here and that's you. But like, the psalm tells us that it's God who created those things, the almighty, powerful, great God who created those things. Apart from the sun, like there are, the nearest star to us is like 25 trillion miles away from us, right? and there are, are billions of stars in these photos. Like the, the, the scope, the size of the universe is so unfathomable, and yet the psalm tells us God created all of it. In contrast, the psalm tells us that. Right? The gods of the nations are, are idols. Right? That is to say, they are, they are nothing. They are small g gods. They're not actually gods. They are human fabrications. They have no power whatsoever. They, they certainly can't create anything like this. In Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah writes, With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol worker, as for an idol, a metal worker cast it. A goldsmith overlaid it with gold and fashioned silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. I just, I, I like that sentence. Like, they look for a, they look for an, 
skill worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Right? That's the best you can hope for if you're worshiping a false god, that he won't fall over. Right? Right? And meanwhile, the true and living God not only doesn't need help not falling over, he created the heavens. Right? So like, I just ask, like, when's the last time you paused right? and just contemplated creation? Whether it's looking at pictures like this, whether it's standing beside a waterfall, whether it's on a much smaller scale and like being astounded by the intricacies of some tiny creature. Like once the last time you just stopped and paused and contemplated what an incredible thing creation is. And I just encourage you, I'd invite you this week right, to, to take time to pause and to admire creation and to be amazed at creation. And to let that creation move you to awe and admiration of God. God is creator, we are not. That leads us to the second aspect of God's greatness in this passage, which is that God is, is holy. In verse 9 we read, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Like, worship Him in His holiness. And oftentimes when we, we think about what it means to be holy, we think about moral perfection. And that it is a, a piece of it. Right? But when the Bible talks about God's holiness, it means even more than that. Right? The idea of God being holy is that He is set apart, He is distinct, He is above, He is beyond, He is unique. Like he is creator, we are creature. He is altogether different than us. Not only is He morally perfect, but He is the determiner of what is right and wrong. He is above and beyond us. And from that position, above and beyond us, we see that He is great also because He reigns. Verse 10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God is king over all the universe. Nothing happens that is outside of His control. Like even those hard stories we heard from Dr. Pat this morning, right? they're, they're things that happen under the sovereign care of our God. He is Creator. He is holy and He, he reigns. He is great. The question then becomes, if God is great, how should we respond? We see, we see two parts of a response in this passage. There's a, there's a vertical response in which we worship and glorify God. There's a, a horizontal response in which we're charged to tell other people about God. The first we respond vertically to God by, by worshiping Him. That's clear from the very first verse. Verse 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. When we gather and we sing on Sunday morning, like that's part of our response to God's greatness. 
Our hearts should be moved in those moments to delight in and be amazed by the greatness of God. Likewise, in verse 7 and 8, we read, Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. We are called to give God glory. Not, this is important, not because God has some deficit of glory that He's hoping we can make up by giving it to Him. God has all the glory He needs. We're called to give God glory because we need to see Him in glory. So he, we need to give Him glory and realize that we are not the glorious one, but that He is the glorious one. We are called to worship and to glorify God. We respond to God's greatness by worshiping Him, by giving Him glory. Another part of that, in verse 8, is through offerings. Verse 8 says, Bring an offering and come into His courts. There's a very practical aspect to like, you giving to the church. Like We need to keep the lights on, and we need to have money to do ministries. Right? But the far greater component to why we take an offering, to why we ought to give to the church, is that it's an act of worship. Right? It's an act that reflects that we see God as great, that we understand that God is the one who is the giver of all good gifts. And our giving of tithes and offerings is first and foremost and primarily a way to say to God, we understand, we know that you are great. It's an act of worship as we give. So we respond vertically through worship, through praise, through giving. We're also called to respond to God's greatness in a horizontal way, by sharing God's greatness with others. In verses 2 and 3, he says, Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, that is, among those who don't know Him. His marvelous deeds among all people say among the nations, The Lord reigns. So we're called to declare His glory to others. Which then bring. Two questions. If we're to declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples, what exactly are we to share? We're called first right, to, to declare His glory. So what does it look like to declare His glory? In Hebrews 1, chapter, verse 3, we see this. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Son... It's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of His glory. The Son is the glory of God. So to declare His glory among the nations, at least in part to tell people about Jesus. There's nothing more glorious that God has done than sending His Son to die in the place of sinful men who had no hope apart from being saved by a Savior. So we are to declare that. That God is glorious. That He sent His glorious Son to die for us. To not leave us on our own. We, in response to the greatness of God, we respond by declaring who Jesus is. 
And his marvelous deeds among all people, right? One of those marvelous deeds is whatever he did in your life to bring you to this place right now. Right? You may not think your story is incredibly special or incredibly unique, but like God saving you in Jesus was a marvelous deed. Right? So you can declare his glory by telling people what God did for you. Right? You don't have to have all the right words. Just tell your story of how Jesus showed up in your life and you were sinful, and you were without hope, and He died for you, and you placed your trust in Him so you could be forgiven. If you tell your story, that's declaring His marvelous deeds among all people. We are called to go and declare His glory, to declare His marvelous deeds, to tell people what He's done for us in Jesus. The second question is, is Why? We see the answer to that at the very end of this, this verse, or this chapter. He said this, right? Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Right? There's this picture of joyful rejoicing. Why? The psalmist tells us, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Oftentimes when we think of God coming in judgment, like we think of fire and brimstone and the bleak picture. But for those of us who know Jesus, if you hear the word at the end of the psalm, like, it is a cause for rejoicing. Like, we should look forward to the day of judgment more than any other day in all of history. Like, re- let the heavens rejoice. The earth be glad. Let the field be jubilant. Let all creation rejoice. Right? When Jesus comes for judgment, then He sets all things new. He makes all things right. That should be the day we look forward to more than any other if we know Jesus. Right? But for those who don't know Him, then it is... A dark and scary and bad day. Which is why we're called to go and to tell people about Him. So that those who we know, those who we love, those in our circle, they would know Jesus. They could rejoice at His coming and not tremble in fear at His coming. So as we behold God as great, as we behold God as glorious and as mighty when we look forward to the day of His coming, when He will come in all that glory, we will see His glory. We contemplate that as we think about that. That, that reality should move us, should spur us to declare His glory. Declare it to our, our friends, to declare it to our family, to declare it to our neighbors, to declare it to our co-workers. We've got to declare His glory to the world. To tell people about Jesus and how their only hope is found in Him. So that judgment can be a cause of rejoicing for them as well as for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, we praise You that even if there are 
hard and painful realities in this world now brought on by sin that you reign over it all, that you still are king, you still are creator, you have a plan to one day come and set all things right. Help us to rejoice as we look forward to that day. As we look forward to the day, would it motivate us? Would it compel us to go and to tell other people, to tell those in our circles about the hope that is found in Jesus? Father, if there's anyone here, even today, who has never trusted Jesus, pray that you would work in their hearts, in their minds. You would reveal yourself to them. You would cause them to feel their need of forgiveness. You would prompt them to trust that because Jesus died on the cross, their sins can be forgiven. They can look forward to eternity with you. Anyone here who hasn't ever trusted in Jesus, pray that they would trust Him today. For the rest of us here, would you compel us, would you move us to go and declare your greatness to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you go from here? Would you go doing those two things? Would you go renewed and a deepened sense of awe of the greatness of God. And would it motivate you, would it compel you to declare His glory to those around you? You are dismissed.